Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. How are you, Amberly? I am so good. I uh, am a little snowed in today with the fact that there is, well, it's snowing. And uh, I don't go outside when it's snowing. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> where do you where live? Do you where live? is home? I am in Tree Mountain. Oh. Um, so, so, yeah. It's, it's I'm snowing not, outside, not, uh, Jenny. We're going to have snow when we go home. <laughs> you're not that far from us. <laughs> I didn't realize you were back in Utah for some reason. I've watched your, well, we'll get into that in a minute. So I didn't realize you were so close to us, and that's really exciting. So you came to us and our show through a listener of ours who is a regular listener of our show, loved what we're doing here, and said, I have the perfect guest for you guys. And then he's been really persistent about getting you on the show. <laughs> well, and he shared your story with us for yeah. the first time when we, I was not familiar with the the Netflix story that's been made mm-hmm. about you and some of the things and some of the speaking you do and I told Michelle and Amberly, I told you this off the air. I heard your story and kind of thought, no way. Like, no way. That really? That, I mean, can that yeah, be true? Because it sounds like a movie. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like a, a movie. So we are really looking forward to this conversation today to learning uh, your backstory, your your middle story, and, and where you are now and the great things that you're doing because yeah. it really does feel like it almost would have to be made up to be true. Right. So we should clarify. There is a Netflix movie on your story called Walk, Ride, Rodeo. I've watched it. I thought it was great. And I laughed. I cried. I cried some more. (laughs) And then I left going, oh, my gosh, I can do hard things and I need to ask more of myself. It ends up being very, very much an inspirational story. So, Amberly, tell us who you are and tell us about your background and how your story became a story for Netflix. Oh, man. Well, I guess I'll start small and we can just work our way into it. (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. um, I've been lucky with the family that I've grown up in. You know, my dad was a major league baseball player, so he was very competitive. And he knew what it took to be the best. And then my mom, she was a cheerleader. And then she also had horses when she was younger, as well as being a gymnast, too. So, she also knew, you know, the hard work it takes to be in there, but she is 100% the biggest cheerleader in all of our lives. When I say my family, there's six kids in my family, so there's a lot of us. And uh, we all definitely took unique routes and very competitive routes as far as what we do for our living. So 
yeah, I would say I started riding at three years old and competing in rodeo at seven. When we so moved little. To I was born in California. I, you know what? I wish I had started earlier. Oh, my heck. But uh, <laughs> that was the earliest that a place in California would take someone to start teaching riding lessons. Are you even big three. enough to so straddle was... the horse at three? Can your little legs you know stay you on are, the animal? Yeah, your legs are not big enough to get past the saddle pad to kick. So I actually did quit for a year and did gymnastics with my sister and karate with oh. one of my brothers. So that I could have my legs grow a little bit. Oh my gosh, wow. That's determination, girl. Yeah, well, when you want to go fast, you got to be able to kick, you know? So that <laughs> all has to come together. <laughs> my husband yeah, was a professional so race I, uh, car driver. He used to have shirts that say, I want to go fast. So <laughs> I, yeah. I heard the passion they, in that. I want to go fly. fast. Yep, exactly. There's There's a certain personality that comes with that. Whether it's on a horse or in a car, you know? It's it's the adrenaline, I think, that comes with that or something. I yeah, don't know. I'm pretty sure it's the addiction to adrenaline. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so you're competing at seven years old. Yes, yes. Started competing in rodeo at seven and, you know, was able to get pretty good at it. But I was able to win titles and awards and stuff through the junior rodeo days and up into high school. And then my senior year of high school... I was a world all-around champion with the National Little Britches Rodeo Association, as well as had made it to national high school finals, and that's when I was 18. Um, and I really felt like my life was in a really good spot. You know, I'd had scholarships lined out for college. I was serving as state FFA president, and then, of course, my rodeo world just looked like it was about to bloom. All of these things were perfect, and then, of course, my life very much changed. And uh, had to kind of start over. Tell us about that day. Do you remember it? So I let's start with that. Yes, I, I, yes. I saw the the movie right, and man, it you end up in a terrible accident. And uh, you know, oftentimes people don't re- really remember the details surrounding that. But do you remember that day and how it started off and what happened? Yes, so I didn't get knocked out during the entire thing. So there isn't anything that I don't remember. Oh, you know, wow. I got up, got up that morning in Logan and started my drive. I stopped in Evanston at the McDonald's that has the saddles in it. I stopped in Rollins at a gas station to fill my truck back up. And then I was going through Sinclair, Wyoming, when I looked up to check my map. This is before we had the maps on our phone. And so I had printed out a map to go to Denver to work there for a couple of weeks. So I reached over. It was in my passenger seat. I reached over to grab it to look because I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been driving on this same road for so long. And when I had looked up from that map, I'd faded over and was heading towards one of the metal beams on the side of the road. So I grabbed my wheel to correct my truck. And it just sent me sliding across that highway. So, of course, you know, at 18 years old, you're thinking, okay, what do I do here? And in my mind, I thought, if I can keep my truck from rolling, I'll be okay. So I grabbed it with both hands, and I thought I had it fixed, that I was going to be okay. But my back right tire caught the dirt on the side of the highway and pulled me completely sideways. So I ended up rolling at 75 miles an hour, was ejected through my window at 70 miles an hour and hit a fence post on the side of the road, actually across my stomach. 
and folded around it and carried it another 20 feet back fence, which is what broke my back and injured my spinal cord. Oh, my goodness. So that movie was pretty accurate to what happened. Yeah, they did a really good job. The only (sighs) thing that they did different on the accident is that it has that I hit the fence post with my back Uh versus with my stomach. But they just weren't sure how they were going to make that one work. Right. So. Yeah, that's really it. But yeah, um, the, the truck rolled and was thrown oh from goodness. the truck and hit the wow. fence post to break my back. If you're listening to the show, you need to go get on Netflix and go watch this movie. It is so good. It really yeah, it's is. It's not often we have an interview that we can then go watch in you know kind of Hollywood style to have it replayed. <laughs> yeah. Usually we have to use the visuals of the storytelling. Right. But it's incredible, and that's probably a conversation maybe even for another day, how the, the movie came about. If we have time, we can talk about that later, but... Amberly, what is that like? You said you did not lose consciousness in that accident. You're awake and aware that entire time? Yes. yes. Wow. I uh, remember the whole thing, you know, leaving my truck and hitting the fence post and sitting on the side of the road waiting for people to find me. Yep. Whole thing. How, how, <laughs> long, kind of- how long was that in reality before you got help? Um, it really wasn't that long. It was probably only five minutes or so. It feels longer when you're sitting there waiting, of course, sure. and you can't move and you see everything around you. And I did kind of a self-evaluation and, you know, realized I was thinking, okay, and my hands worked. But then, of course, my legs and my feet didn't work. They felt like they were in warm water from the waist down. So oh. <laughs> I think it was only like five minutes or so before the first Did just a passerby stop? I mean, was the accident yes. obvious enough that they said, holy cow, we need to stop and maybe get some police assistance, get some medical here? Yes. Yep. So that's what they did. The first person stopped and came over and asked what happened. They got on the phone with 911. Then the second person stopped not long after that and was kind of helping me be comfortable while we waited. And the third person brought me a phone, actually found my phone on the way to me. And I called my dad and told him about the accident. So that he could tell my mom and start figuring out what the heck we're supposed to do at this point. Um, and then at that point, the the cops had shown up and then the ambulance, of course. And then, then we just go from there. Wow. That is so incredible. We should probably take a break right here because when she comes back, we're going to hear about what she learns about her accident, her injury, and what has changed in her life. Oh, my gosh. We're going to take a break and we will be right back. Amberly, oh my goodness. So you have been through this horrific accident. You're on the side of the road. You can't feel your legs. Are you concerned that you're never going to feel your legs or are you just going, I've got some injury, but I'm going to get fixed and it's everything's going to, where's your head? What's going through your mind? You know, I mean, when you're sitting there and, and that's the situation you're in, the first thing you think is like, this isn't permanent, right? This isn't real. This is obviously doesn't feel great. I recognize that I can't feel my legs. I know that that's a thing. Um, the doctor, you know, told me the chances of me walking again were slim to none, but more than none. And you hear all of that, but you still are just thinking this is just not how that's going to go. Right. And then slowly and surely, like there are ups and downs that come along with that, you know, days that just don't go the way that you plan or you realize, no, this isn't, 
I wake up in, in a day or two or even in a month or two or heck, let's get real, even in a year or two. And this is going to be something we talk about as the past thing. You recognize that this is now your real life. And okay, so I can't change this, but what am I going to do with it? And that, you know, that becomes the thought process and that becomes the journey that now you start on instead. Everything you thought you were going to be in your life and this picture you thought you had painted is really not the case. And so not that things can't stay the same, but everything will look different. So tell us, what was that first couple of days? I mean, you're you're in Wyoming, pretty much in the middle of nowhere, right? You're driving from home to Denver, you had said. Yes. Do you, yes. End, up, so do you end up in the in hospital for a long time? Do you... Do you get to go home for rehabilitation? Like, what does that look like those first few days and weeks of the physical medical treatment side of that? Can you walk us through that? Yes. Yeah, so they loaded me in the ambulance in Rollins, um, on Sinclair. They took me to Rollins, and then they put me on a life flight to Casper, and that's where I did surgery, was in Casper on my back. I was there for 10 days, and then I was able to fly back to Utah for my therapy, and my parents obviously were from Utah, so it was interesting with our insurance because our insurance would only pay for me to be what was at the nearest location that was possible for therapy, and they had a really small unit in Casper, Wyoming, that they said, yeah, we'll cover you to, to do it here, and my family's like, no, I mean, we want her to be able to come and do therapy in Utah so that she's near to family and friends and has the support and Absolutely. And of course, there are still five other kids at right. home, and so we're trying to figure that all out. So we actually had some people come on board to help get me home. So they flew me home to Utah 10 days after, and that's when I started therapy. Oh, my god! So I was there um, at Utah Valley doing therapy for six weeks, and then they sent me home. But they told you from the beginning you will not walk again or plan on not walking again. That's what they said? Yes. Yes, that's definitely what they say. And I... Two days after my accident, I regained some feeling in my leg, like a little tiny spot. Like when I say little, I'm saying like a couple inches by a couple inches. I regained a tiny spot. And so they moved me from a complete injury to an incomplete injury. And it's spinal cord world. That is, you know, where they say you have zero chance because your spinal cord is severed. So I'm not even sure why they put me as complete to start with because my spinal cord was never severed. But for whatever reason, due to the damage to it, they put it as complete. Well, when I started to feel again, then they moved it to incomplete. And I now have regained feeling to my knees, not everywhere and not perfect, but that's about where it goes is to my knees, as well as some movement in my hip flexors and my abductors on my legs. And then some trace movements like through my glutes and my hamstrings and stuff, especially if I'm in the water, it's hard to do it outside of the water where there's gravity involved. But yeah, they moved me to incomplete. So it said, hey, whatever you get back, you get back. We will not promise you anything. We can't guarantee you anything. And don't count on anything, but, you know, we'll just put as the prognosis that you're incomplete. And the spinal cord was not severed, so that's what left that door open, that maybe there'd be some kind well, of... Well, let's face it. I mean, doctors don't know. The status that they're giving you is worst-case scenarios to cover their own butts, right? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, they have to. I right. mean, you totally get why they have to do what yeah, they yeah, do. Uh, right. Absolutely. Uh, so then what? So you've been told pretty much maybe, but probably don't plan on walking movement, and you had... Like you said, you'd had scholarship opportunities, rodeo opportunities. You have this world ahead of you that clearly seems to require fully moving two legs. What happens next? Well, 
so therapy starts, and I made three goals the very first day of therapy, which you would know from the movie. Obviously, it got named that, Walk, Ride, Rodeo. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that those three little words were going to become such a big, influential piece of my life, or let's get real, um, a title of a movie one day. Yeah, and you make that comment, you don't think that it's going to be what it is. But you did vocalize so, those words. Those were your own personal three goals. Okay, that's awesome. Yes. When she asked me what my goals were, I told her easy, walk, ride, rodeo. Wow. That's it. I and told how, her that's all How did you get there? Tell us what that looked like. How long did it take? What exercises? Because you made it, which is, like I said, I almost don't believe this story. Walk us through what that journey looked like to reach those goals. Yeah. So the walking is not perfect yet, but I did get leg braces and I have a standing frame. I'm actually standing in my standing frame right now while I'm chatting with you guys. So that helps me be able to stand up when I'm at home. It does it for me. It locks my knees out and such, but that's, that's where I'm at with the goal right now. I'm hoping to get rewalk legs. I'm working on qualifying for those as well as getting the funding for those robotic legs. And then I'll be able to even closer to that walking goal. Wow. But the riding of the rodeo, it took me four months to get back on a horse. I think I would have done it sooner if I could have talked doctors and my mother into sooner, but that's what it took. So four months for me to get back on a horse's back and it took me 18 months to get back to competing. Okay, wait, back up a little bit. I'm I'm trying to be your mom. (laughs) How many months from a paralyzing rollover truck injury in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming to getting back on an animal? How many months? Four. So did your mom have a heart attack that day? Because I'm having a heart attack thinking about my child suffering an injury like that. And then, oh, sure, mom, I'm just going to go trot around the arena. Like four months? That's, I know people who recover from minor surgery for longer than four months. So long, she says. (laughs) I have a son that was just in an accident and he is not. Four months is a blink of an eye. It's a blink of an eye. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm, I I got off on a tangent there. Four months to get back on an animal, 18 months to what? I like lost you after that because I couldn't fathom it. That is pretty incredible. <laughs> to, yeah. So, to how, compete. It took me 18 months to compete. And that was because I quit for nine of those. Otherwise, oh it would have been a lot sooner. Wow. So when you got on that horse the first time, were you supported by people on either side? What What did that first time up on saddle look like? Oh, everyone was super excited. They were all super excited for me to be able to do that. And I wish I could tell you that I was too once I got up there. But honestly, that day was harder for me than the day they told me I would never walk again. Wow. And why was that? Because I realized it was different. I had completely brainwashed myself. I don't even know how to explain it other than that. I had completely convinced myself If I get back on that horse, it won't change, right? Everything else was different. Everything. Like, there is absolutely nothing that is the same. And I thought, but my horses can't. That can't change. So, I don't know. It's like almost that I believed in magic. I'm going to sit on that horse. And, of course, that will be perfect. And whether I get my legs back or not, I don't know. But I'm going to have them back when I ride type concept. Oh, and I see. So you I thought if, once you myself. got up, yeah, once you got up there, you were thinking somehow magically, if I can just mm-hmm. get back on my horse, magically, none of this is going to be mm-hmm. impact. 
Which I understand that that's ridiculous. Like, I get that, and I get that I wasn't a child. I'm, I mean, I turned 19 in the hospital. I get that I'm 19 years old, but that's what I had hung on to. And I don't even know how to explain it besides naive or silly or whatever, but that is what I had convinced myself. But how and interesting so, that you said that day then was harder for you than the day of the accident because it's like a whole new wave of grief and loss coming mm-hmm. over you, that that new reality that you can't talk yourself out of. I think a lot of people would have said, I guess I'll never ride a horse again. You didn't say that. You kept going, no. even though the details, so many details changed. Like you said, in the moment of your accident, so many dreams and goals changed. I think most of us would say, I guess I better find another profession, another passion. You found a way to adapt to your passion. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so I've been really lucky. I have a seatbelt on my saddle. I have straps that go around my legs and rubber bands around my feet and all of these pieces that help me stay in the middle and balanced, you know, and protected so that I can still compete. How did those seatbelts come along? Whose idea was that? There's a gentleman in Arizona who had a seatbelt on his saddle. He was not paralyzed, but his legs were weak, and I forget why. And a friend of mine saw him... And passed it along and said, hey, he has people on the saddle. Why don't we consider this? Wow. So that was the beginning. And so tell me about which competitions you compete in. Are you competing against fully healthy two-legged riders? Or are you with others who have different extent of injuries? Obviously showing how naive I am into the rodeo world. What kind of competitions are you eligible to compete in? So I am the only professional paralyzed athlete in the entire United States in the barrel racing world. Which is so amazing. Like, I'm just sitting it's here, phenomenal. my jaw's hitting the table in front of me. I'm like, say that again, what? The only, so there's not like para-rodeo, like there's para-Olympics. No. 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 She's so no, you just am, jump in. I am it. Yeah, she's competing yeah. right along I with think, others. Yes, so then I don't get my own category. I'm with everyone else. But you don't um, let there, that, and I, and so you don't. accident... Oh, no, no, I can't. I'm way too competitive for that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm thinking how awesome being competitive is in your world. Like so many people being super competitive can get them into trouble. It causes fights or anger or whatever, ruins relationships. And yet you've been able to harness that ultra competitiveness to do the undoable. I mean, I'm. I really just don't even know what to say. I've watched rodeos. I've been to the rodeo. I've I've seen people do barrel racing. I love barrel racing. It's my favorite event at the rodeo. I can't fathom how you can do it without steering the horse with your legs. Am I wrong in thinking that's where so much of the drive comes, not only in kicking to get the horse to go faster, but in, in turning that tight turn? Can you tell us like kind of the physics of how you control your horse without full feeling in your legs? It's always a work in progress, and I've been blessed with some really nice horses. The horse that everyone would know is Power. He's the one that knew me before and after my accident. I honestly had retrained him for myself prior to my accident, which sounds silly, but I'd gone to a clinic, and she talked about the importance of being able to communicate with your hands with your horses. Wow. So I had literally retrained him for myself prior to. Without ever knowing. No, no, of course you would never foresee that. You wouldn't even know that. So getting back on him was easy. And then uh, my second horse is Legacy, or I call him Legs for short. And he's the first horse I trained after my accident to run barrels. And he's just ultra sensitive and very special. He's the one I compete on the most now. I've had a couple in and out that I've trained or sold or didn't work. 
but he's the main guy now. Power is retired. So Legacy is my main horse. And then I have another little backup mare named Penny. And she knew the pattern. She just needed seasoned and trying to figure out my style. So, of course, I can't use my legs. Right. So I use my voice and my hands and my body to, to get the communication there. That's just remarkable. It is remarkable. So when is your upcoming races? Well, I ran today. I ran Sunday. Oh, wow. She's like, right now, so I'm on a horse ran, as we talk. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, I would be, but I told you it's snowing outside. So I am instead inside standing in my standing frame. But I did run Sunday. Went really well. Uh, we won it on Legacy. And my little backup, Penny Mare, she placed in one of the other divisions. So I was pretty happy with her. And then I run on Saturday. I run in Denver, Colorado. There's a race called Colorado versus the world. And so they invited me to be on team Colorado and I'm going out there to run on Saturday. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So when you race in barrel racing, is it the horse that is the listed winner, winner, competitor? No, it's us, but it should be them. (laughs) Because that's what I was hearing you say. And I'm like, oh, I I thought it was the, the writer, but. Yeah, and I don't know a lot about uh, barrel racing either. I I have a friend that uh, also does barrel racing, but I've never been involved in going out and watching. I am going to show your video to my daughter, who is eight, and she just started doing horseback riding lessons with a young high school girl who teaches in an arena she has in her backyard. And I've seen little Ellie trot through her barrel races, and you know she's eight and barely knows how to control the horse, but... I've watched as she's had to maneuver to go around and not knock it over and go as fast as she can. And I still am just marveling at the thought of only your voice and hands guiding that animal and not the, the leg pressure on either side yeah. of, of the well, saddle. And staying on a horse that's going that fast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> tell us, going what, fast. give me a day-to-day life now, a day in your life. How old are you now? You're living in Tremonton. Are you living with your family? Do you compete? Is this kind of your, is it your mainstay? Is it what's providing your living? Do you have other things you're doing in your life? Or is it really kind of this focus on your, are your racing world? Give us a, a day in the life or maybe a week in the life. So I am a motivational speaker, my keynote speaker. That's my real job. And I get to travel around the country and even internationally doing that as well as now, of course, our world is a little different. So I do virtual as well. So that's my real job is getting to share my story and hopefully inspire and motivate others to continue on the path that they've been given. Outside of that is my horse world, and I get to compete all over. Last year, I was just in the wilderness circuit is where I stayed. So in the Professional Rodeo Association, there is different circuits depending on where you are in the country and where we are here in Utah is the wilderness circuit. So I made circuit finals last year, and that was super great. That was our goal. This year, we're going to rodeo a little bit bigger and see how far we can go. And I live in Tremont, and that's where my home is. And I'm still here right now, though normally I'm in Arizona already at this point of the year. I'm in Arizona in the winter, and then but my house is in Tremont, and and I live here by myself. Well, that's not true. My friend moved in here, too. So she's here to help me with my horses and well, because I have the house to myself, so I don't need the house to myself. So she lives here as well and rides with me and takes care of horses 
and uh, is my best friend. So that works out. That is so amazing. That's awesome. So do you train in Arizona? I mean, do you take your horses down there because the weather is more compatible with riding through the winter? Yes, yes. It helps that I don't have a husband yet to tell me when and where I should be. So I, uh, <laughs> well, there's that. There's so, that freedom. There's that. There's that that I have right now. Um, so I go That's to so Arizona fun. in the winter because it's just warmer and it's easier with my chair. Snow and wheelchairs and I yeah. do not yeah. go together whatsoever. So I have some friends. I call her my second mom. She's actually like my, she was my barrel racing coach when I was seven. And so now she's like my second mom. So I go stay with her in Arizona in the winter, just till the weather is better here. Okay. Cause there's, and there's barrel race every single day within an hour in Arizona oh, wow. I stay in the winter. So yes, I can, I can run barrels every single day if I want to while I'm down there and the sun is shining. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, that is such an amazing story and you're so inspirational. You know, so many people would have just rolled up in a ball and said, I'm done. I can't do it. Or it's not available to me. Or, And maybe even inspiring enough would have been if you picked some other thing to right. go be awesome at. But you right. went back to that, that again, just seems so impossible given the circumstance. I, I just am loving this. When you so watch much. the movie and you see the seatbelts come on and you're like, this is crazy. I mean, I'm watching it. And I do have adult children, so I'm watching it as a mom, and as I'm mom. thinking, oh, my gosh, I would die if that was my <laughs> And, you know, kudos for your parents for supporting you and in, in being determined to, to be able to get back up on that horse. Amberly, if you're yeah. okay, we're going to take one more break and then come back to wrap things up. We want you to teach us, if there's any takeaways, what you have learned and how you would define or describe resilience. I, I feel like your entire life embodies like resilience to the gold level, but if you can put it into words and kind of share some takeaways with us, we'll be right back. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, Amberly, we've we've heard the story how you had the goal to walk, ride, and and race. You've done that. You're doing that on an almost daily basis. You're motivating people around the world with your story. Teach us what have you learned? What maybe takeaways do you have through this journey that have kind of helped you, or that you've gained along the way? And then tell us what resilience looks like or means to you. Gosh, I mean, it's hard to pick because I feel like I've been blessed with a lot of light moments in my life. I feel like anytime there's some pretty heavy darkness that I've been thankful for the light that comes into that. So I at one point was asked, how am I capable of still being here and doing what I'm doing? And easily I can give it to three words. And that is my family, my faith and my horses. So that is where all credit, I guess, where I'm at 
And I know that not everyone is going to have the exact same three things, but every single one of us will have challenges or obstacles or those moments where it just seems very dark. And I think you need to recognize what will help you find the light in your life too, because the light is there. I promise it is there. Though sometimes it seems very small, it's there, and you have to be willing to look for it. And honestly, you have to be willing to accept it as well. I think that there's times when it's so dark that you don't even want to be better because you just, you're just there. And that would be my first, I guess, word of wisdom or guidance or hope for people who are listening is to always search for that light and find what those pieces are that create that light for you like it does for me with my family, my faith, and my horses. I love that. I think that's so beautiful to, to search for the light. You might have to search high and low to find it, but that there can always be the light and to find the things that bring that light into your life. I wrote that down that, you know, maybe what brings light into your life is different from what brings light into mine, but I can't just sit back and wait for the light to find me. I need to go find it and feed that and, and really embrace that. I love that. Amazing. Such an inspiring story. You've got to go and watch this with your kids, Jenny. Oh, we're going to. <laughs> the entire family, get the popcorn out, gather around the Netflix. And then and... I'm going to pay attention to when you're speaking somewhere near enough that we can come hear you in person because I'm sure that is a dynamic experience. Yeah, can't wait till we really get to start doing more of that again. Is... Yes, absolutely. I do speak I do speak here in Utah. Oh, good. And I think in February or Jen, I don't know. I should probably go double check that on my schedule. Yeah, you should go check it check in and let, let, let us let know. Us know. Yeah. Um, you do a have a, a website. For anyone who's listening to this story, who's inspired by Amberly, who might want to have her come speak at your group, you can reach her at AmberlySnyder.org. And that's Amberly, A-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y, Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R.org. Yeah, I just really appreciate you being on today. It's such an inspirational story. I love your walk, ride, rodeo. You know, so many people at the beginning of the year, and we're here in the first week of January when we're recording this with you, will pick one word for the year, and that'll be their focus, whatever it might be. And I love that your goals were just so simple and clear, walk, ride, rodeo. And it was such a clear focus for you and you were able to achieve that and it's an amazing inspirational story so thank you for being inspiring for having clear set goals uh i think that you could teach a lot of people a lot about goal setting and achieving those goals yeah i love that the goals feed one into the next you know they're kind of a here's your step here's your next step here's your next step rather than three kind of scattered all over yeah we we love what you've shared with us today amberly we know our listeners will love it too and we're going to go blow up netflix and your website yeah. by by watching that and reaching out to you and trying to stalk you to know where we can come hear you in person um if anyone else is listening and you have an inspirational story to share of your own or you know someone who's been through something that can help the rest of us learn and grow please let us know we'd love to share those experiences with our listeners you can email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com you can find us on facebook at relentlessly resilient or instagram at relentlessly resilient podcast whatever challenges you might be facing i want to encourage everyone to get back on that horse love that Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day.
It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.